Welcome to the Digital Nomad Cafe podcast, the show where we discuss what it takes to create a sustainable long-term online business in today's fast-moving environment. We talk with industry experts and freelancers alike to find out what it takes to build and manage a location-independent business. Hello and welcome back. If this is your first time joining us, then welcome. This podcast is for digital entrepreneurs carving out their slice of the online economy. Today's guest is Omar Mo. Omar is a digital nomad who took his passions of online entrepreneurship and travel to create nomadables.com. He's also a digital marketing strategist, performance coach, and founder of the Nomads Cast Agency. Welcome, Omar. Thank you for having me, Adam. Thank you for coming on. So I've been uh, enjoying some of your podcast episodes and reading some of your content. So yeah, can you tell you know myself and our listeners a little bit about uh, Nomadables and how you got into it and how it all started? So to bring some context in here, before the coronavirus, I did the whole digital nomad thing for about three years. And with corona, it kind of stopped, just like I'm sure for many digital nomads it did. But right around that time, I had been freelancing for about a year. And when I came back and I had all this time in front of me, I thought to myself, like, okay, how can I make use of this time in the best and most efficient way possible? And obviously, after you open the Pandora's box of online business and really realize how much and how deep it goes, you want to focus your energies and efforts into it, especially if you enjoy what you do. That's where Nomadables was born, right? It was essentially the first thing that I started. Uh, I didn't know what direction to take, but I happened to chance across Gary V around this time. And this was about two years ago, right? Or a year and a half. And I chanced around Gary V and Gary V just kept saying, make content, make content, make content. And uh, I, I knew I wanted to do something in the online space, but I didn't have any ideas yet. I mean, I had some software ideas, some other things, but I'm not really a developer or a coder. In fact, the first thing that I wanted to do whenever I first breached the online space was that I wanted to become a developer. And I took a class for about a month and I realized real quick, this is not for me. You either have that type of brain or you don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and I looked at it, I was like, nope. Not not happening. So I, I kept diving in deeper and I was like, what else? What else is there? And I realized I'm a conversationalist, right? So I wanted to capitalize on that strength. And ultimately, I decided on starting a podcast. The podcast was originally called The Nomadic Spirit. And as time went by and I realized my content was a lot more business and travel based rather than just travel based, I changed it to The Nomadic Executive. But that's how the, the podcast was born. And from the podcast, naturally, a progression was building a website around it. I remember sitting on Google domains, trying to search different domains that I think would be catchy, have the word nomad in them and kind of sound nice. And I went through like uh, nomading or nomads.com. And I went through all these and all these were unavailable. But then I remember thinking, you know what? Nomadables. That kind of sounds like uh, people who use things to go nomading. And I looked up and lo and behold, it was available. But I got down, booked that domain, and that's how nomadables.com was born. It's funny that when you're on, like, you're in GoDaddy and you're like, okay, what am I going to call this thing that I'm going to commit to for years? And you're just like, is it available? Because if it's not, is it going to end up on a .net? (laughs) You always want that .com and you're looking so so, so tough. And sometimes you're like, "Ah, should I settle for a .co? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, if you're software, I think you can get away with that. Like a lot of or dot io. That's a big one now, you know. But um, no, look, I, I hear you. And, and um, so at that time when you you know when you set this up, were you were you traveling? You know, you mentioned that you were freelancing for about a year. Were you abroad when you were doing that? You're based in Texas at the moment, aren't you? I'm I'm based in Texas, so I've been back over here since January. But ever since basically Corona started, actually right before Corona started, I had plans to just come back for about six weeks and then head back out. But then Corona happened. And but I was lucky enough that I was actually already back in the country when that happened. So um, I had actually been freelancing for a year before that. So I'd spent uh, that year right before Corona. I was in New Zealand. And Adam, I did a little bit of research on your stuff, too. And I saw that you were in New Zealand quite a bit, bit a while ago as well. So um, I was indeed. Yeah, right. So that's why I remember you actually writing something from Queenstown. I remember reading a blog post of yours. But I was in Queenstown myself, and I spent maybe about three months there, which was a majority of the time that I was in New Zealand. And uh, that's where I started picking up freelancing. That, and I'd been doing it a little bit here and there throughout the year, but Queenstown is really where I doubled down. And what I started doing was just simple graphic design, logos, things like that, hopping on Fiverr, hopping on Upwork. And that's where I first heard about those two websites and just creating logos and designs and stuff using Canva, uh, Photoshop, and whatever other programs that I had on my computer. I also did a little bit of video editing. So people would send me one minute video clips and I make them like an intro or just do some color grading and simple things like that. Just whatever odd freelancing jobs I could do to get by. Uh, but that was my first taste of true online business, I would say. It's nice, man. It's like, it's actually literally the exact same for myself because um, I guess short history, if anybody's listening and I haven't mentioned it before, but I was living in Australia. I was actually sponsored working in a construction company and I left to, be, I was like, I'm going to figure out how to be at work online. And I moved to Queenstown with my girlfriend. Yeah. I mean, I, I signed up at like an agency, you know, where like they'd like basically ring you like, oh, do you want to work? I don't know, doing scaffolding today. You're like, all right. And it's like minus 10 and it's really not the fun at work. And then, you know, oh, do you want to go and do uh, work? I think I was working in Hilton for a while as well, doing like commie chef. And then I actually met, I met a fella, Johnny Ward was his name or is his name, not was his name. And uh, he is, yeah, onestepforward.com, forward.com. And he um, was camper vanning around New Zealand with, uh, with one of his friends and yeah, like I met up with them and they were doing like really well online. That's, you know what I mean? Just put it that way. Like, um, and, you know, I would say that, you know, meeting them and, and reading a lot, of, a lot of travel blogs, because I was really into traveling, you know, for years for myself, it was, like I said, I lived in New Zealand, lived in Australia, lived in New York, lived in Spain. Like, you know, I, I've always wanted to go out and travel, but it was never working online. When I was younger, it was always go and work in a bar, go be a chef, go, you know what I mean? Work in a hostel. Like it's not what it is now where you can, like I literally worked in a bar in Spain for five euro an hour, like for a summer. Like, <laughs> whereas now you'd laugh at that. You're like, well, I'd just be a, you know, bottom end freelance writer as a tenor, an article. You know what I mean? So you're like, it's great that the opportunities have changed. No, it's not to say working in a bar in Spain isn't a laugh. It is a lot of fun. You know what I mean? <laughs> it is an experience, right? It's a different sort of experience. It's a different sort of experience, exactly. But now things have changed, and and even even I have friends who never would have done online stuff who since the corona have switched. Like, I have a friend who's a diver in Mexico. He takes people out on diving tours. You know, he's Irish, but he move, lives in Mexico or in Thailand or wherever, and that's his business. Now he's like, man, you, you got to teach me about this online stuff. So I've been teaching him about, uh, like, how to write, uh, how to write for um, affiliate content, SEO content, and, you know, get, paying him to do some work. 
So then when he goes away again, he can take that with him. Yes, he can do the diving, but he can also like know that, all right, if the diving slows down or whatever, I can make a thousand quid, two thousand quid a month freelance writing. And, and that's a, a new string to the bow, you know, and it makes the travel, um, it opens up more possibilities for you, you know, that you're not always stuck to, to, I mean, now at the minute, I mean, hospitality, forget about it. So like. Exactly. Right. And those people, especially in hospitality and stuff, they could really diversify their, the way they're bringing in income, right? Like, it's good that you're teaching your friend how to do these sorts of things online, because with the way that we've seen brick and mortar businesses go, if you're not falling back on something, at least, or have a plan B in terms of the online space, you're going to get screwed. And that's not what you want. No, and look, there's a lot of opportunity. Like you're saying, you know, you, you can start off easy, you know, pursuing things you're interested in. I mean, I wasn't particularly madly interested in writing, but I just said, you know what? You follow some guidelines and, and you pitch for work and you do whatever at the start. And then as you build it up, then you can, you know, you progress and you, you increase your prices and everything else. I don't know. I, that's, that's kind of how I fell into it. You know what I mean? It was like just kind of like doing a little bit, do cheap stuff, and then you kind of build up your portfolio and then you can start going after the, the bigger and better work. It's funny, Adam. Like I have a very similar story to yours, right? Because I'm guessing you did the working holiday in Australia and New Zealand? Yeah, both. Yeah. And then in Australia, I got sponsored. Um, but I hated it. So I left. <laughs> so I went to New Zealand to put up a hold in at minus 15. <laughs> great in the mountains in Queenstown. How long did you end up uh, spending in Australia? Just over three years in Australia and then just a year in New Zealand or just uh, maybe 11 months, I think. And then we moved to Thailand because my girlfriend got pregnant when we were living in New Zealand and we moved into Thailand and lived in Thailand for like six, seven months. And uh, yeah, you know what I mean? That's when we went to, my friends were running a hostel on Koh Tao. So I went there for a month and then we went up to Chiang Mai Met a lot of cool people, you know, everybody who's fucking digital nomad probably goes through Chiang Mai at some point. It was very different back then. Well, I mean, I think it was like, maybe it's not, maybe it's the same now, but I don't know. It was cool, you know, but like you're saying, when you put yourself in that environment where you're around all these different people, you're like, oh, what? You're into Facebook ads and you run an agency and you do dropshipping. You're like, man, this is cool. I love this. These people are on my wavelength. I don't want to go, you know what I mean? Picking fruit and it's much more prevalent in Thailand too, in my opinion. In Chiang Mai, those places, you meet people like us more than if you were in Australia. Like you, I actually did construction jobs in Australia when I first started too. And uh, I mean, they pay so well, you know, like they pay 25 to 30 an hour, which is a lot different than how much the minimum wage was in America at that time. And even the, the type of money that you could get, even with a college degree, like going to Australia, just working construction job, you made so much more. So naturally, like uh, whenever I was in Australia, I, I fell into those kinds of jobs and I never wanted to go further with it, though, because I knew I hated it right away. I never got sponsored or anything like that. I just spent a year there and dipped out to New Zealand after that. But I mean, it's a different path, right? Like when, whenever you go to Thailand and Chiang Mai and all these places, you meet digital nomads, you meet people that are doing Shopify, e-commerce, affiliate marketing. I mean, the whole online space is so much more open and prevalent from the kind of people that you meet in Thailand. That's it. Like, and I also like really enjoy like just being around that environment. You know what I mean? Of of kind of like entrepreneurial people and people who are into online business. I love it, man. I talk about this stuff all day long, you know, and do it. And like, I just, I love it. You know what I mean? I, I found it great fun and it was quite inspiring. And it also allowed you to do the travel, you know, and make a living online. Whereas literally up to that point for me, it was always, I'll go here and I'll work in a bar. You know, I did it in America. I went to New York on a J1 visa. Like, you know, I, it was all these work and holiday visa things. It was like 
a different world opened up. You know what I mean? It was like, hold on a minute. You can work anywhere. You know what I mean? Like, oh, okay. And like, you know, fair enough. We moved back to Ireland then. I've been here for quite a while and typically travel a good bit every year. But, you know, I've not been, let's say, you know, out on the road or whatever like that. Who could be this year? You know what I mean? But normally you would head away for a couple of months every year doing different bits and bobs. So I guess after New Zealand then. So look, you, you figured this out. He got started, you know, doing some of the online stuff and doing a typical work and holiday jazz, you know, which is basically whatever you can work at. Like I are saying, like one morning, I don't know, if you work for these agencies, I was scaffolding one day, chefing another day. I was out on driving a digger another day. Like you could be doing bloody anything. You could be working in a bar the next day, scrubbing pots the next day, you know, and then going to a cafe. Well, this is where it was changing for me. Then I go to a cafe, a really nice cafe in Queenstown, and you'd have I'd have my maca. And there'd be a fire on and I pull out my computer and I'd be like, I just have to write about, well, I was writing about all sorts then, you know, Yankee candles. I remember getting a huge order, hundred or 120 articles about Yankee candles, uh, forever stick in my mind. But I remember being like, oh shit, right. I've got to write 120 articles about Yankee candles. <laughs> How did you come up with 120 articles on Yankee candles? So if you were a freelance writer, I'm just going to throw this out there right now. The clients who will always have worked for you are agencies and SEOs. So like I did a lot of work with people who had like affiliate websites and stuff like that. And also agencies. And, you know, we'll kind of lean into this next, which is about like getting work. How do you get work? You know, a lot of what I did back then was just cold outreach. You know what I mean? Like it was cold. I would cold email agencies. I would email bloggers to build relationships. I was reading a lot of blogs and travel blogs and stuff. And, you know, I kind of, once you got chatting to people, then figured out that, a lot of these people had businesses as well as blogs. You know what I mean? So they, a lot of them were doing link selling at that time. So they were buying and selling links on websites. You know, that was a big thing pre Penguin Panda or whatever you want to call it. I mean, I met at least five different travel bloggers who had, I mean, anywhere from 50 to 200 websites each in private blog network, I believe they called them. So they would buy expired domains, repurpose them buy old blogs off people, all this sort of stuff. So they always needed new content and they always needed guest posts written. So yeah, like, you know, I, I kind of just kind of plugged into that and and that worked for me. It was right place, right time, I guess. You know, I seen that there was a, a need for that service. And I, I mean, like for me, it was at the time, it was, it was okay money, you know what I mean? Like for, for what it was, I kind of look back now and cringe a little bit and think. I'm fairly new to the whole SEO space, but the whole blogging network as I'm thinking about it, when you talk about it right there, it's really, really smart people buying out 150, 200 blogs and then just doing backlinks to each other? I haven't thought of that before. They would sell backlinks to typically agencies. So you have the agencies at the top of the pile and the agencies work with bloggers and the agencies will say, right, I've got 10 grand and I've got this brand. Let's say something cars rentals.com.au, right? You know what I mean? Or whatever. And they have 10 grand and they want a minimum of a domain authority of 30 or, you know, which is what it was at the time, or page rank used to be the thing back in the day. Now everybody goes off AHREFs or SEMrush authority for. But back then it was like, you know, and you had, and had to have like minimum 1,000 people visiting the website every month. So it had to be a real website. And yeah, then agencies, like, oh, it's 100 euros to post here. It's $200 to post there, whatever. And yeah, you, you helped the agency fulfill their SEO requirements by securing placements on blogs of specific metrics. And by doing that, you get paid because you just put a markup on every one. So let's say 
charge $200 to put a guest post on nomadables.com. Not saying you do, just saying in an imaginary scenario. And I sold it for 300 to the agency. Then I make the 100 on the top, less the article if I have to write it. Uh, so that the agency middleman whole business model comes in. Yeah, you're like the, it was just being a, a middleman. And this, I mean, this business, I still kind of do a little bit of it, but not too much. Not like it was, but um, for the travel industry, it was huge. When we plugged into that, like, I mean, we just, we had all the work we wanted, really. You know, I and I just hired writers and I didn't, you know, I kind of stopped doing the work. I was like, oh, okay, I'll hire the writers and, and just, you know, manage that. And to be fair, my girlfriend was really good at the managing who's paid spreadsheet. I was more to get on the phone, do the sales type of stuff, <laughs> you know, or just email him, man. I'm not like outreach, man. That's what it is. But let's talk about that a little bit. Tell me about yourself and your experience with doing like cold outreach, because I know some people think either it won't work or it scares them. So, okay. Outreach is transcendental. Let's put it that way. Outreach isn't just a tactic for doing something to maybe get a certain outcome in business. Outreach can literally change your life. And I stress this so much to everybody. I recently released an episode on my own podcast called You're One DM Away from Changing Your Life. And I'll give you a little backstory here about the podcast, that specific episode. I had a lady on named Deborah Hutchison. She's a 68-year-old woman who is a multimillionaire, lives in Florida, Fort Lauderdale, near West Palm Beach, which is one of the most concentrated areas of wealth in the USA. Now, how did she get her start? She's a self-made woman. What she decided to do uh, when she was younger, she got uh, casted as an extra in a movie. And uh, from there, she thought to herself, hey, you know what? Being a casting director isn't so hard. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to call up a studio and say, hey, I'm a casting director and uh, I'll cast for you. That's out of nowhere. So what she did was that she called outreach to a studio, said, hey, my name's Deborah. I'm a casting director. Let me help you cast your next film. And the person that answers, answers on the other side was just this random assistant that says, hey, sweetheart, you're calling the wrong studio. You don't even have the right person. But tell you what, let me help you out here. Call this studio, call this number, ask for this guy, and you'll get what you want. So she embarrassed, hang, hangs up the phone. But she feels like she owes it to the woman who helped her out to call back this other guy. So she calls back the other guy, calls the studio. The director picks up the phone. She says, hey, I'm a casting director. Let me help you cast your next film. The director says, no, you're not. You're not a casting director. But I like the balls that you have. I want you to come hang out with me for two weeks. And since then, since that experience that she had, she slowly evolved into a casting director and made millions in Hollywood just from that single phone call. So. When I say cold outreach can change your life, that's in terms of sending DMs on Instagram to somebody that you want to work with, uh, reaching out to clients that you feel like may need your service, reaching out to people that you say that you want to work for free for and just offering them some sort of value. I mean, cold outreach works and it doesn't just work like on a small scale. It works in a way that can change your entire life. That's my opinion about cold reach. Absolutely, man. Like when you talk about doing cold outreach, Really, what you're doing is you're taking action, all right? And even if it's messy action, it's it's action towards trying to achieve your desired outcome. You know what I mean? So, like, if you want to do this thing, when I think back, when I very, very first was in Queenstown, I had no clients, no anything. I was watching a guy on YouTube called Chris Ducker, and he's still out there. 
chrisdocker.com he had a whole thing he was like the guy for outsourcing in the philippines once upon a time i think he does solopreneur stuff or something now i, I don't follow him now anymore but at the time he was like the guy who i was listening to and i reached out to him because he was looking for somebody to fly to the philippines to be his apprentice and this was before we knew my my partner was pregnant so i was like that sounds like a great idea let's go to the philippines i'll be his apprentice and we learn all about online business my girlfriend yeah, whatever. Let's do it. <laughs> you know. And what happened was he was like, "Oh, that's an old video. That's not even like that's not a thing I do anymore." But what do you do? You know what I mean? Like, and I, you know, I need some help with writing and content. And then I ended up. He became. He was my first client ever, and that was true. Reaching out to him based on a YouTube video that was a year old because I, I was a dope and didn't see that. But it was like he was looking for his, you know, fly somebody out six months, live in the Philippines, be my, you know, basically work for free and live in my spare room, you know, <laughs> basically what he was doing or something along those lines. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that became the step. And even when I remember cause when I was in Chiang Mai and a bunch of the work dried up with the travel bloggers because, I don't know, whatever, because it comes and goes in, in droves. You know, it depends on when the agencies had the budgets. I reached back out to them. I hadn't worked from in a while. And, and through that, I got referred to other business. And it opened up many doors down the line. And that all came from, like you said, it's cold outreach, man. But it's also action. It's messy action. You know, being vulnerable and saying, hey, I like your stuff. Is there any way I could help you? Like, you know, how, how could I help you work with you? Absolutely. I think there's so many people out there that are afraid of rejection. Like if they reach out and someone rejects them saying, oh yeah, like I, I, or just doesn't even respond, you know, they'll take it personally. And the thing is, and I always say this to people, they're not rejecting you as a person. And that's why you shouldn't take it that way. Instead, they're just rejecting the value you're giving to them at that moment in their life. And it's not really useful to them at that very moment. You know, so if you're going to reach out to a hundred people and have, let's say, a 1% to 2% response rate. And then let's say, and I'm just talking in business terms here, have from there, have a 20% close rate of someone actually saying something. If you reach out to 500 people in total, you're bound to have someone come back to you and give you the outcome that you're looking for. You know, so it's just a matter of persistence and consistency. And you keep going for it, no matter if it's if you're trying to get a certain business outcome, a certain a career outcome, a certain life change. If you do it to 500 people, if you reach out to 500 people, one person just may be like, oh, you know what? This guy seems cool. This girl seems awesome. I'll give them a chance. Let's see what happens. That's it. Like when you do sales, right? Like, you know, when you, when you have your own business, which, you know, I know you have now, and I also have a web design business that I run on the side. And even just working like, you know, day to day in Shopify, like every store has a conversion rate. You know what I mean? So like for every 100 people, 2%, 3%, 4%, whatever it is. So that means... You, you know, when you turn that around on its head, like if you're starting a business and you want to, you know, you want to be a freelance writer, you've listened to this, that's the route you're going to go for. You might need to talk to 100 people to get three clients. You know what I mean? So that's 97. No, not interested. No, thanks. Don't take it personally. Like, yeah, I'm not saying that'll be the rate. Like, maybe it'll be, you know, much better than that. But you know, t everything, I, I always think about it in terms of sales and in terms of conversion rate and in terms of, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you're selling, once you accept that that's how it is, it's not such a big deal anymore if somebody says no. You know, it, it like removes the emotional attachment to it. It's like, oh, they don't like me. They don't like what I'm doing. Oh, my stuff is shit or whatever. It's like, no, no, no. That's just one no, you know, and the yeses will come if you, if you just keep it up. But yeah, that's, um, especially at the start, when you're starting out, you know, I think that's something people 
it can really take it to heart and you might get 10 no's in a row or 20 and then you're like, oh, this isn't going to work or whatever. If you do cold email outreach, especially for SEO and trying to get guest posts and links, you get very comfortable with no's and rather rude responses as well. Absolutely. I think it even extends in another direction here, right? So like your core audience, Adam, how young or old are they? I would say typically in the mid 20s to 40 range. Okay. So if someone here is listening and they decided not to do the whole university thing, or maybe they're thinking about taking some sort of formal education and reaching out and going there, take this as a sign as not to do it. Because I have seen people's lives changed by sending DMs to like maybe 100 people that they wanted to work with. And then one person responds back, whether it's someone big like Gary Vee or someone small like an artist they want to work with. And they take them on as some sort of intern or freelancer for a few months. And I've seen their entire lives change to going to an income bracket that they probably would have never reached if they went to college, as well as going down a life path that they enjoy much more than if they would have done something uh, that was formal education in college, right? Or on the other hand, comparatively to my own business, right? And I run a podcasting business here. What I basically do, like like I told you earlier, Adam, is that I set up podcasts for other businesses, B2B, SaaS companies, and finance companies. And um, the way that I do my cold outreach is I simply just send out emails, right? And I send personal emails out to everybody that I feel like would be a good fit for my services because essentially I'm just trying to give these companies value at the end of the day anyways. And when I reach out to them, like I would say I get maybe open rates. I get pretty high open rates, but the response rates that I get are maybe about 10 to 12%. But from those 10 to 12%, three, four people will want to hear out what I, what I talk about. And I'll take them to the next step where I'll just set up a meeting and I'll just kind of run through everything that I offer, the services that I offer. And after talking to them, most people will be like, okay, look, you've got a very rational thing going on here. I really see the, the pros to, to my business. And that's how I land my clients. With just cold email, cold outreach, I was able to replace my day jobs income in a matter of a month. Most people don't realize how easy it is. Yeah, but you have a funnel. That's the thing there. You're taking people through the funnel and you know to make sure to, you know, by sending the outreach emails, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're, you're putting people in at the top of the funnel to bring them out towards the end. And like you're saying, you know, 100 people can turn into, or 100 emails can turn into 12 replies, can turn into three calls. And maybe you convert one or two out of those three calls, who knows? But the point is, you've got this flow going on and this is, this is something people definitely struggle with, I, I think, when they're new to the online business world or even offering services that, you know, having that process, always having people, you always have to have people coming in. And it's, you know, if you just put up your pretty website and, you know, you're, you put up your Instagram and whatever else, people don't just magically show up. You either buy traffic or you literally, you know, hit the emails, hit the phones, go on the DM, go on the outreach, like, you know, you have to take the action towards who is the ideal client and get making sure they know you exist and what you do. You know, maybe you're not the right fit for them right now, but at least they'll know, you know what I mean? There's Adam, there's Omar, and they do X or Y. You know what I mean? I think we should differentiate that a little bit too, Adam. Since you and I have been doing full outreach for a while, uh, maybe the audience should know, like, if you're doing cold outreach and reaching out to 100 people, don't just be like, hey, uh, my name's it's blah, blah, blah. And... Uh, pay me to do this like don't, don't just you know like you don't try to the moment that you meet a girl like after the first uh, two sentences you won't be like hey let's go back to my place right i mean 99 percent of the time that won't work 
it's the same thing when it comes to any sort of cold outreach. Like you're not just going to try to close somebody and say, hey, pay me for my services within the first cold email or DM that you send this person. Uh, there's got to be a funnel, like you said. And, and there are specific funnels that my business uses and I'm sure your business uses that, that, that work for these kind of scenarios. Well, you're trying to engage a conversation. You know, that initial, like you're saying, if it's cold, like if they don't know who you are, first you want to pique their interest. You know what I mean? Like, so either offer value or pique interest with, oh, people in your industry who have podcasts get X percent more leads. Is that something you'd be interested in hearing more about? You, you know what I mean? Like, just, I'm not saying it all because believe me, I get them. Because I mean, like I said, I've been selling SEO links for years now at this point, And my LinkedIn is just relentless. Like, hello, dear. You want to find links on? you know, frisky.com or whatever, you know, all these different random websites that do the same high domain authority ones you can set up free accounts for and you're just like, oh dear Lord, no thanks. Yeah, so I mean, like you you hit on it already though, you know, you said personalizing the outreach and, you know, that makes all the difference. No matter what you're doing, you know, whether you want to be a guest on podcasts or whether you want to, you know, engage in potentially doing business with somebody or like we mentioned before, you know, getting featured as a guest post on somebody's blog, so do you get backlinks to your website, which helps and rank you in Google higher. All of these things involve outreach to people you don't know and trying to engage them in a conversation with you. And um, where ultimately there's an ask. You know what I mean? It's can I put content on your site? Can I come on your show as a guest? Or, you know, can I help you solve your problem with my service? So all of these things are just you trying to engage in them in a busy world, you know, and, and that's where having a good outreach process, but being selective and being as personalized as you can be um, is important. So we did hit on like guests and podcasts. And so, you know, podcasting is what we're doing here right now. So, but we were kind of chatting beforehand and it was funny because we were talking about like when you get started podcasting and you don't even have a show live, you know, you kind of have to leverage like any personal contacts maybe you have or whoever to get your first few episodes live. And then it kind of flipped on its head where I think, you know, eventually you get ranking or whatever and you seem to get inundated with um, podcast guest requests. So um, how have you found, you, you know what I mean, like managing guests, bringing guests on uh, and also like getting featured because you also, you know, hit the circuit and get, you know, become a guest on other people's podcasts. So. All right. So my experience with this surprisingly has been, really good, right? So I haven't ever had any sort of difficulty finding guests. Maybe the caliber of guests change over time. But in the beginning, what my strategy was is like what I did was I, I went on a Facebook group. And since I had a digital nomad podcast, I put up a thing, a post on a digital nomad Facebook group with like 100,000 members on it. And I said, hey, I just started this podcast. And I'm looking for a guest. And I kind of made everyone qualify themselves in the comments. Just I was like, tell me a little bit about yourself, what you do, and how long you've been doing it, and what kind of value you can offer. And on that first post that I put up, I think I got maybe 30, 40 different comments of people just qualifying what they do as a digital nomad, saying that uh, some people do this, uh, some people do that. And I got to pick and choose and send DMs to the ones that I wanted. And I got them on my show. So something that I realized right off that first episode, second episode that I put out was that everyone, for some reason, wants to be on a podcast. And I think it's the whole idea behind the medium, right? I mean, one, you get a backlink for your own website. Two, you get more, um, like, especially if the person who is serious about podcasting, you're going to get more brand awareness from just being on that person's podcast, even if you're the first episode. Number three, 
and maybe didn't realize this, but I've had people reach out to me that have listened to my podcast at like episode 40 and said, hey, like I really enjoy your podcast. I went back and listened to all the old episodes. I've had people reach out to me and say that, you know, so once you're on a podcast, I feel like all every single episode that you've ever put out, it's not like a blog, right? Whenever you, you're on a website, a lot of the visitors that come on your blog are probably listening, watch or reading your latest or last two or three blog posts. With a podcast, people will be listening to a lot more episodes, especially if they enjoy you as a host. So I, I realized all these people really enjoy being on podcasts. So that's how I got my first maybe five to 10 guests, right? I also put out some single episodes just to kind of add some volume on the podcast. Another thing I realized is that the more episodes someone has, the more credible the podcast looks, right? From an outside perspective, like if you're just scrolling through Apple podcasts and you're looking for shows to listen to, the show that has like, 800 episodes with like maybe 150 reviews is probably going to be more appealing than the show that has maybe three episodes and one review, right? It's just going to look more credible. So I thought this to myself and I said, hey, right now it's more about volume than it is about being very, very choosy on the kind of guests that I have. And the kind of guests that I had in the beginning, they had value to offer and they were definitely a good introduction to the whole digital nomad lifestyle and the whole digital nomad world. But as time went by, because of the simple volume that I had beforehand, I was able to secure more credible guests. I mean, I don't know if you're the same, but I have kind of like my wish list as well of like people who I followed for years and uh, are like, you know, one day I'll be cool for them. Or, you know, maybe they'll just be doing a course launch or a book launch and they'll be hitting the circuit and I'll be like, you can join me conversation <laughs> those, speaking of wish list it's funny enough do you know who pat flynn is yeah yeah of course yeah yeah I, I secured him as a guest on my podcast in january there you go you see the mind can dream up it can achieve you know you know how i did it though this this is where the evolving comes in right so at one at some point maybe after episode 10 or 15 i realized facebook group posts aren't going to do it the quality isn't as high as i would like it to be on my podcast right it was funny because when I was first starting podcasting, I was testing the waters myself. I wasn't as good of a host. I couldn't carry conversations nearly as well as I can now as a host. So, And I'm sure you've seen that in your own podcast as well. I'm not 100% sure if that's the way that you evolve because I haven't looked back to your episode number one or two. But uh, that seems to be the general trend of the way podcasters work. Oh, I, at the start, oh my God, I used to do this gammy game and everything was like, 10 questions for you. You know I mean? No, I cringe. And I listen back to the first one, so I don't listen to them. Hopefully, yeah. that, that, that come on is <laughs> pretty good guests, though. Like they're good conversations, but like I had this, I don't know what I thought was a good idea at the time. Some of it I cringe, but some of the episodes too, when they go on, like they're like over an hour and a half. You know, I think too long. You know, should have split them up into short. That's what I've kind of noticed because you can see in your analytics and iTunes and stuff. I think twenty-five minutes is a sweet spot. You shouldn't really let it go much longer than forty. For me, just for my style, I see that's when people drop off. So, yeah, I think you, you evolve as a host, you know, and like, I think I've gotten better. I mean, like, yeah. You strike me as a very good host, you know, and I always enjoy having conversations with other podcast hosts because they know uh, how to conversate, you know, as opposed to someone that just has never been on a podcast or any sort of interview style uh, medium. And then you have a conversation with them. You're doing much more of the guiding of the conversation rather than actually being conversational. You know what I mean? I've had one or two of them. I, I I know what you mean, yeah. And look, to be fair as well, you know, I think you learn as well over time. You have to research your guests and do it properly. You know, I've jumped on 
one or two episodes maybe where I didn't do sufficient research and it was my fault that it didn't flow well. You know what I mean? Like that wasn't the guest fault. And you know what I mean? Like that's how I feel about it now. It's always do the research. If the person has a podcast, listen back to one or two episodes when I go for a walk, like be mentally prepared for that person, know some things about them. And then because they listen to your episodes and stuff like that, I had some of your ideas and the personality type that you are in my head. So it just makes it, it makes for easier conversations, you know, if, if you know stuff about the people and you knew I had been to New Zealand and that, you know, we had both done work on holidays and stuff. So like those things then like kind of spiral into the conversation. So yeah, that was a big one for me was like, really make sure you do uh, your vetting of the guests. Cause I've had some real <laughs> questionable people try and come on. Yeah, just, you know, like like you're saying, better qualifying, having your wish list, but also doing the outreach. Like, you know, I still do outreach for like affiliate marketing and people who are good at like building blogs and, and making money through with SEO. Like, I love that stuff because that's something I've been into for years. So, you know, find, like um, the Wandering RV, I interviewed Bill and Kayla from that. Like, they have a very successful affiliate website and it's all just review content and yeah, just different people like Eva Gutierrez. I remember speaking with her, and this is what we hit on earlier on. And just to kind of Eva, the, the influencer, she does show notes podcasts. Oh, okay. I must have the wrong Eva. Like how she got into working online was she listened to a lot of podcasts and like literally, like we were saying earlier, like reached out to podcasts that she liked. It was like, look, I really like your stuff. I'd love to do your show notes. I'd love to help you, you know, write up some social media stuff, and then that kind of progressed into. You know, doing it for high level, like coaches and stuff like that. You know, the people who she was interested in, she wanted to serve these high level seven figure entrepreneurs who have podcasts. And she wanted to do show notes for them because she learned while she was listening and she enjoyed it. And she created a whole business out of that. And she's like fully booked. She's got really good Instagram. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you'll have to, you'll have to send that to me afterwards. I'm curious. Yeah. So it, it's, I just thought it was really interesting, but it was a way that she was just like, I like podcasts and I like writing. How can I tie it together? And you made a very successful business out of it, you know? And it was like, that's awesome. And like, you know, and talking to like what you do with the podcast set up and helping people. So like, podcasting is only one part of it. You know what I mean? Then this has to be off to an editor and then it has to be published and show notes. Oh, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, there, there is a lot. And that was, you know, it's part of the reason, I guess, maybe I don't do more. You know what I mean? Like, like doing two a week or something like that. It's like, oh God, there's too much to manage. But also, you know, like you're saying, the more volume you put out, the higher you'll rank, the more lessons you'll get. You know, so those things all kind of, they do matter as well. So can you talk to me a little bit about repurposing content, you know, what you do with Nomad um, Cast? So as we were speaking about earlier, my business basically does everything for them from podcasting to content repurposing to outreach for the interviews to pretty much everything. We help these businesses. They have budgets for this and it's an incredible lead gen machine. That's basically what we're making for them. So in terms of content repurposing, which is a huge segment of what I do, we have all our clients record video interviews. And this is two reasons. Number one, with just audio you can make a ton of different content because 30 minutes to an hour of audio has tons of golden nuggets in there that you can extract. But with video, it adds another dimension of doing video clips 
any sort of small segments, bigger segments, but mainly video clips, but they're native to like TikTok, like TikTok's a video platform. So TikTok opens up with uh, video interviews, Instagram, mostly visual platform. So yeah, video clips, video and audio together for an hour really make the best or the most concentrated, best amount of content that you can make. Now, in terms of repurposing, what we what our process is, is that we get that one hour of video and audio. We go through it and try to find specific segments in there that there's golden pieces of advice or something that was said that was kind of profound. And find at least 15 pieces or so. And it's easy to find 15 pieces when the audio conversation is about an hour long. Like in our conversation alone right now, Adam, I'm sure I could find just 10 pieces that I could pull out and make content from, right? Oh, I've got the time. Like I just keep a page beside me and I just write down timestamps of when I'm like, oh, that was really interesting. I have 23 minutes rejection, positioning and persistence. You know, something you said that like that to me was a profound thing that should be a soundbite. You know what I mean? But like I do that all the time i just write down the number because i just lo- i'm looking at the numbers on the screen <laughs> that's the one actually i might start doing that on my own i never actually do it during the interview but that, I, might, I might actually use that strategy thank you for that adam yeah but that's it like i don't know that's that's how i do it, but i know 100 percent what you mean and but as somebody who's a podcaster it is definitely difficult or not difficult but it's time consuming to do that although that is the most important thing to do i think you a VA, right? I don't know how many VAs you have, Adam, but if you are able to train your VAs to do exactly the way that you want to do it, you can outsource all of it. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it, right? And, and it's, a, it's a time cost thing. So for me, time is more important at this moment right now with my business than, than the money is. So I'm more than happy to pay my VAs to, out, to repurpose this content. And some of them have an even better, better aesthetic eye than I do. So they're making content that even better than I could make. So um, I'm getting these guys out. I train them. What, what I, we like to do is we use Canva and we essentially repurpose those video clips, extract the audio from them, make quote blocks. And you you listen to my interview with Beck. A lot of what she said really helped me out as well quite recently. We make these quote blocks. We just make graphics. We make audiograms, video clips, just from those golden pieces of advice. And that'll give us enough content to post at least twice daily across seven different social media platforms, depending on which one we want to go on. And essentially what you're really trying to do is the reason you're even repurposing content, and people tend to get this wrong, they, they think repurpose your content to grow your social media following. It's really you repurpose your content so that you attract more eyeballs on the social media platforms only to drive them back to your podcast or your website. That's it, man. I really enjoyed that episode. So yeah, anybody who's listening, you know, make sure to head over and, and listen on nomadables.com, the interview that um, Omar had with Beck Power. Beckpower.me, I think, is uh, her website. Um, but it was really cool. It was all about this. Like she, It's a very similar business that she has, isn't it? Like they have like a, a podcast, social media, like kind of using that Gary V 100 pieces of content a day, PDF, that famous download that he put out once upon a time. And you're trying to like connect all the dots and I don't know, Blast the internet. <laughs> a million a content repurposing machine. But like you're saying, it's turning a one hour. Like, you know, we've been speaking now for 46 minutes. So, like, there's a lot of nuggets in here, right? Now, I will admit that I don't do video and I am going to change that. And I was really looking at a camera this morning. So, I'm going to get a camera and set up the second video because, just because, yeah, like you're saying, and I think you hit on this in your episode too, but it was just around people build trust with people they see and although I have my face on my website you don't get to see me and you can also 
I think when you're speaking with somebody and you have the video dynamic, I especially notice from work, like there's people who you've called with and then there's people who you've video calls with and you have far more rapport with people who you have. Because you can see, you're, you get a whole other elements. You see their facial expression. You know what I mean? Like whether they're responding or whether they're rolling their eyes at you, like, you know. True. That, that's, it's a huge difference I've noticed, you know. If, like, with you and I, we're very, almost more expressionist people, you know, and that maybe comes with the territory of being a podcast host. But you'll meet people also that aren't as expressive. And uh, when you actually have them on video, it's it's a lot easier to conversate because you can see how they're feeling or, or, or see what their facial expressions are like. See if it's, a, if you press the button somewhere or maybe you should poke around here, poke around there, you know, you and I can tell just from like our voice inflection. So, so it's really dependent on the person, but video podcast or video face to face, whenever you're interviewing, I've noticed helps a lot. Yeah, man, that's on my to-do list. So we'll get to it. But look, Omar, thank you. I appreciate it, man. This is a really, really good conversation. I, I really enjoyed it. And I hope um, our listeners did too. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on, Adam. Oh, appreciate it. So where can people, if people want to connect with you, do business with you, listen more, listen or learn more about you, where is the best place? Come find me at the Nomadic Executive Podcast. If you like Adam's podcast and you really enjoy that, uh, just go check out the Nomadic Executive as well. We've got very similar content. You'll enjoy my podcast as well. Um, If you want to reach out to me, the best way is to just shoot me a DM on Nomadables on Instagram. So that's N-O-M-A-D-A-B-L-E-S. There's a ton of content on there as well, just to help out any sort of business agencies, consultants, coaches, and anyone in the similar online space. Thank you very much. And thanks for uh, all the listeners for tuning in. Thank you, Omar. Thank you for listening to the Digital Nomad Cafe podcast. Head over to the website to access the resources and links mentioned in today's episode at digitalnomadcafe.com.